know what? I don't give a fuck. I put everything I did in my books, literally everything, every crime. My lawyer went ballistic when I published those books. <laughs> I literally admitted to everything. A, a radical ideology like anarchism, like anonymous, is absolutely required to get any kind of change at all. Any kind of substance, yeah. substantive and systemic change is only going to come from the radical ideologies. And that requires radical personas. That requires also radical courage. When they come, when the FBI came for me, it wasn't even a consideration, okay, to cooperate in any way with them or to even cooperate within the boundaries of the law. You know, people, you know, these guys disarmed me because I ran. You know what? I am literally the smartest one of the bunch because I stayed fighting. I never yeah. lost a single minute. They didn't shut me down because of bail conditions. They didn't shut nothing, nothing. I literally stepped out of that jail, bought a computer, and went on the fucking run. Okay, yeah. and kept fucking fighting. Today on the show, we are joined with author Ian Thornton and the legendary hacktivist, fugitive of the American government, and the leader of Anonymous, the one and only Commander X. We got the very rare opportunity to speak with X through his longtime pal Ian. Ian patched him into the Zoom call from X's secret location in Mexico where not too long ago he snuck both over the Canadian and American border to get to. As of now, Commander X has been granted protection by the Mexican government, but is still keeping discreet from the rest of North America for his own protection. For that entire chapter of the story, you can check out the brand new documentary titled The Face of Anonymous. But today, we dive deep into the heart and mind of Commander X, and also hear the absolute craziest story we've ever recorded on this podcast. This was an epic chat that had to be split into two episodes, but without any further ado, I bring to you Ian Thornton and Commander X. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the face of Anonymous. Feel free, feel free to shut me up. Uh, I know how to shoot the bullet points. So, <laughs> you know, so what, whatever. I mean, I hey, all, the, like, all the I, usual rules. I, I enjoy listening to you talk. I'm like, mm, tell me more. <laughs> but it's all, it's all good. Well, um, that's that's how Commander X came to be, though. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, there is a historical moment like the H.P. Gary uh, federal thing where Commander X comes into popular mind and becomes famous. But but the whole idea of the Commander X persona from the very beginning was um, I, I, I am very eloquent. I'm a writer. I'm a good speaker. Uh, I never was afraid of public speaking. I was in class when all those kids were like uh, at the, you know, trying to get to the back of the line because they didn't want to do their public speaking. I was knocking them out of the way. Let me get up there. I'll never shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get I'll, up, give, I'll give you a, a quick story, Sean. When I first met him, he was sitting on the steps of the Ukrainian church at Queen of Niagara. And in those days, he would drink uh, a big jug of coffee with six sugars in. Holy He'd eat shit. chicken wings from 7-Eleven uh, and, uh, and a big bottle of Pepsi and a big bag of weed. After, I knew, him about, after I knew him for about three weeks, he dropped the chicken wings but, but the point of this story is, on all the Pepsi and all the weed and all the, the sugared coffee, I'm a writer, I'm a novelist. If I could, I have an editing tool, I can go back. I, I have time on my side, I have a screen. What this guy could do, which was almost preternatural, was that he could talk for two hours with all these disparate loops and, and strands and narratives. And at the end of it, just bring it all back in like a movie and tie it with a bow. And he's, you know, he's, he's smoked a lot at this point and he's barely shut up. And, and, and it's, it's almost 
superhuman. So I have to give him credit for that. And, you know, the, and, and, that's and, a skill. The writer, that's I was a, never jealous, you know, but I was slightly envious. When, yeah. you, when you're when you're when one of your primary roles in a global movement is propaganda for that movement, that's a skill that's literally priceless. And yeah. it's a skill that Barrett Brown, you know, despite his uh, decision, and it didn't begin with me. Trust me, I wasn't the first person that Barrett Brown turned on. It was it was it was uh, uh, my dear friend Julian Assange, uh, and and Barrett. You to, to understand Barrett Brown, you only need to understand one thing: he will never get over the rage and anger that he's not Julian Assange. That Project PM, which is his little site, his little disclosure site, isn't WikiLeaks. That he, uh, he, he, you know, that the girls like him, like uh, Julian, better because he's sexier. All of it, all of it, every single bit of it. I mean, he, he, he. That that is the root crux of all of Barrett Brown's rage. And where me and me and Barrett Brown were very, very close, despite what they both of them said in the movies, we were both. Me and Greg House were also very close. In fact, I, I tried to send Greg to, to Maine to secure my family's servers so that I could begin communicating with them while I was on the run. That's how close I was willing to, to vouch for him to my family. Let this guy in your house and fuck with your computers. You know what I mean? I mean, that's how close me and Bar me and Greg were. And yet Greg plays it off in the movie like he barely knew me. And so does Barrett. None of these oh, yeah. things are none of these things are, are have any have any any truth in them. And Barrett really began to slide off the plate and to lose the entire movement. Basically, the entire movement has, has moved on and moved away to other fronts, and Barrett has become irrelevant and painted himself into a corner, and he doesn't have the pride to come, uh, he, he doesn't have the, the, the humanity to come forward and say, look, you know, I was wrong all along, guys, you know, yeah. you all supported me when I went to prison, I was wrong not to be, you know, more grateful for that, Julian supported me on the WikiLeaks channel, I should never have done, you know, talk, uh, dissed him while he was in trouble, I, I, I'm sorry, guys, just back, I've done it. I've done it. The internet is filled with times when I had to come forward. I, 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 you've seen me gabbing, Sean, since you've been here. God, <laughs> of course I make mistakes. Of course I'm going to say some stupid. When you talk for two hours, like Ian was talking, you're going to say some stupid shit. But at least I'm a, a man enough and, and and human enough to come forward yeah. and say, look, you know, I fucked up, guys. That's just not right. And and I take it back and I'm just a human being trying to do a thing. Yeah, so. for kind of like his vibe in the movie, I felt like he, there was there seemed like there was like some extra spite I didn't know about. Like he just his words. And deeply stuff like resentful, deeply yeah. re resentful. But part of that is a little bit earned because when he did turn on Julian, I turned on him and it was vicious. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the, the, uh, you know, you want to dig into personal, uh, uh, Barry, you want to get personal. Let's talk about how you're a fucking junkie. Let's talk about how you're still a junkie to this day. Let's Let's talk about how you want to get really dirty. Let's talk about, and this is a papered fact. I swear to God, I am both me and my attorney, Jay Wiederman, have seen the documents. Greg House is a snitch. Greg House got caught when he was a, a younger, much younger than he is now, for doing Whereas, which is uh, pirated software. And he turned on his comrades. And we have seen the report with the document that I have literally my lawyer had in his hands that we've seen copies of is uh, the sentencing modification where he goes in and all the rest is kept secret, right? Because you can't find out that shit. But where we got him is he went in for a sentencing modification and the specific title that he was requesting a modification under was the snitch title. It was where, oh, okay, I, I've helped out. I've cooperated. Now I'm going back to get my 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 promised uh my promised cut and so 
you know, I, I for years, uh, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Greg did this when he was very, very young, and he's not a young man anymore. Um, for years, I have kept my mouth shut. This is literally, literally the first time ever that I have come out in public to talk about this. But neither one of them were had anything to do with Anonymous after the FBI raids, the 40 raids that came out. I can't remember the year or the date now, but I was on the list and there were 40 raids. It's in my book. And that was way back 10 years ago at the beginning. And at that point, Barrett went to jail and Greg just fucking went into hiding. He was so fucking scared. He didn't yeah, dare yeah. to admit to anything anymore. You can't get him to say that he did anything anymore. You know what? I don't give a fuck. I put everything I did in my books, literally everything, every crime. My lawyer went ballistic when I published those books. <laughs> I literally admitted to everything. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, that's the difference between, you know, um, a, a, a radical ideology because that's what this world requires at this point it's so fucked up on so many levels that a, a radical ideology like anarchism like anonymous is absolutely required to get any kind of change at all any kind of substance yeah. substantive and systemic change is only going to come from the radical ideologies and that requires radical personas that requires also radical courage when they come when the fbi came for me it didn't even it, it wasn't even a consideration, okay, to cooperate in any way with them or to even cooperate within the boundaries of the law. You know, people, you know, these guys disarmed me because I ran. You know what? I am literally the smartest one of the bunch because I stayed fighting. I never yeah. lost a single minute. They didn't shut me down because of bail conditions. They didn't shut nothing, nothing. I literally stepped out of that jail, bought a computer and went on the fucking run. Okay, yeah. and kept fucking fighting. One thing that I found absolutely incredible from uh, from watching the movie too is like um, I've over the past decade I've been familiar with Anonymous too, but I didn't know all this stuff. And co the Commander X, you were homeless as you were doing this, and you were carrying a computer around and just doing a but i wasn't the only first yeah. of all first of all let me say a couple of things about that i wasn't the only one in that state number one and i'm not going to name any names but there were some big top fucking higher than me names yeah in anonymous dudes if i dropped the name right now everybody would be like oh him he was homeless yes okay uh it was the first of all Anybody who stayed in one place was going to jail, and every hacker knows that. If you live in your home in your mother's basement and you hack, they're coming for you. Eventually, I mean, it, it, that, that, I mean, it, that's just it. you got to move. Okay, you got to keep moving. And you know what, fella, can, can I? I'm going to ask you to tell a story now that sits in with this that wasn't covered in the documentary. I'm not even anyway. Sure I just want to finish real quick my thought with Sean, and then on. I will, yeah. Sean, uh, Sean. But I just want to point out that if I were to tell you the names besides myself of the dudes that I knew spent a good part of that time running, okay, quote unquote homeless or running, however you want to look at it, um, you would realize that the most effective anons in the entire movement of the history of the movement were the ones who put it all in a backpack and just started running hotspot to hotspot, city to city. I was not the only one. I was just the only one who came forward and said, this is how, this is how I did it. You know, I wrote the books and said, this, you know, 
This is how I did it. Yeah. And I shared along the way on Twitter, even. I mean, I shared it in real time, the lifestyle. So, but I mean, the most effective people were the people who went underground, went on the run, and and really fought this like the war. The war. And I will use that word that it is. Yeah. It's a it, war. It is, yeah, exactly. And like just like all the stuff you were shedding light on as well. And even like I, I found it so polarizing with the media too. It's like, if I was watching a report on anonymous on television, it seemed like you guys were the bad guys, but then you do a little research on the internet and you're like, yo, these guys are just like fighting for good, you know? And it's, uh, it's, it's you, you mentioned yourself, you felt like Batman and, uh, around that time, like the dark Knight came out and it was just like, yeah, in the movie, like people like either viewed him as the villain or the hero and, you know, and it's just, it's fucking crazy. And uh, yeah, Ian, uh, I know you had a point to make too. Yeah, to uh, I'm sorry, a, Ian, I cut you off. No, no, sorry. no, 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 that's all right. There was a time when you were in, um, in, in a safe house. I think it was California. And uh, the, the prompt I'll give you for the story, fella, was the meth lab. Tell the meth lab story. Meth lab. Hold on, hold on. I got to retrieve it from the ram. Uh, you, you, you were in a safe house and it was raided by the law. And you were, put, you were cuffed and put into the back of a car you you were wanted at the time oh, oh that wasn't a, it wasn't a meth lab i know no it's i know i know it wasn't a all meth right lab. well I'll, I'll tell the story it's in the book That's the kicker. Uh, um, that was really one of the most extraordinary moments <laughs> that whole underground railroad uh, story um really just to give a little background to sean because he probably hasn't read my books which you surely can if you want i'll send you free copies oh awesome e I'm, oh, no I, i'll i'm even i want to i want to buy them too and uh, support they're them. only two yeah. bucks i mean so oh, right like, on. yeah but if you're but if you're that broke i mean i can definitely <laughs> uh, I'm too, i am a podcaster but i can afford two bucks <laughs> they're, they're two bucks each so. yeah okay four, yeah. four four if you want them both but uh um so uh, just to give a little uh, background, it's just an, an extraordinary story, even no matter how many layers deep you go. But I'll start with um, right after the 40 busts, when, you know, Barrett Brown and Greg House were busy digging their their uh, their their underground bunkers to go hide out in. And I was trying to figure out how I could best burn the world to the ground. Um, they did these raids and what we did uh we got organized and, and we went behind scenes and we said, look, this is serious. They're coming for us. They're coming for all of us. And this is going to be a pogrom that's going to go on for, for decades. Maybe um, we have to, this is it. They're, they're, they're actually going to do this. They're going to take us on. So how do we deal with that? And so over the course of about a week, several meetings, uh, a number of them in which Barrett Brown was actually in them. In fact, Barrett Brown did play a role and I put it in my book. He found a great number of free attorneys, including my, you know, I, he didn't find mine. He, I found my own but he found us uh, uh, several attorneys that were willing to represent a nods pro grata. That was his, uh, project little project within our our greater project which is called operation vendetta it actually had a name operation b it was time to take off the the gloves and uh, uh, in and amongst a lot of various strategies i won't get into them attack strategies and other things that that have since played out um was the idea of an underground railroad 
Um, what if people don't want to stand for these charges? What if this is just fucking, this is bullshit. Why should I be shut down as an activist for even one fucking moment for a crime that should have warranted a night in jail and a $500 fine? You know what I mean? I mean, it's protest. That's that's life, right? Um, why should I be shut down for even a minute? And, and other people might feel the same. So how do we get anons who don't want to, who want, who are willing to become dissidents, who are willing to keep fighting but realize they have to leave the country to do so. How do we get them out? And oh God, we made so many mistakes, dude. <laughs> I mean, we went completely the wrong direction, first of all. Instead of building a railroad north to Canada, we should have built it all along here to Mexico. Um, this was all huge mistakes on my part. I uh, and and I admit to those. I admit to those tactical errors. It was a it was a a a a, a bad a good idea executed well by the people who, who executed it but but very poorly on my part as far as the the ultimate design of the of the thing but anyway it was a very serious underground railroad and what we did was we set up a very um uh, incredible protocol um we looked at all the other underground railroads that had existed throughout history um we talked a lot about uh, how to use technology how to use compartmentalization so when you read in the book, for instance, um, the people who were shuttling me through the railroad who had been drafted, who had been drafted to become part of the railroad. Hey, enough, stop. They're just working. Um, those people were not allowed to even know who they were who they were transporting and, and, and each person would only have one small part to play. Like you might get three nights in a basement and then and then your job was to get that person to the bus station, so so to speak. You know, and that was that was it. And you were only going to be activated when you were activated. You would be told the package is on the way, and that was the person. And you were never supposed to even ask about the package. You were not supposed to know their name or anything. So when it's very interesting because I became ultimately the only activist to actually use this mechanism. This operation or organization that we had created of these people, these volunteers uh, up the West Coast to the Canadian border. Um, these volunteers were only activated once and it was for me. So it was wonderful to see the look on their face when they go to pick up the package, right? And the package is, you know, it's me. <laughs> that's, you know? that's amazing. And, 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 and then it took a lot of compartmentalization on my part. I was the boss at that point, and I was certainly the boss of that part of the uh, of Anonymous, the Underground Railroad. I had made it. I had designed it. And so it was tough not to pull rank because one of the rules was the package has no rights. You do exactly what you're told, and you do it instantly. That was the protocol for the package. You have absolute faith and trust in the people who are taking care of you, and you are nothing. You do exactly what you are fucking told and you zip your fucking whip and that's it. And you follow orders. And so being this humble, meek little package and being commander X at the same time was a very, very interesting thing. Uh, one of the safe houses that, uh, that Ian is bringing up that the story that he wants me to tell, um, that was on the list. These folks had signed up to become part of the railroad. They had been vetted and everything. And they had a very interesting splinter movement of Occupy. Occupy was raging by the way, at the time, Occupy Oakland was huge. Um, they were doing a very interesting and very radical and extreme and courageous and dangerous thing that they were doing and they were doing in Richmond it's just across the bay from Oakland it's called Richmond 
And what this cat was doing and his, and his crew, they were mostly young college students, is they would slink around at night all in black and fucking God, they, they, they did it up, dude. They had tool belts and fucking black paint on their faces and everything, right? And they would go out at night and slink around Richmond um, discovering homes and properties uh, that could be habitable that were foreclosed. They would literally break into these properties, scout them out, uh, go inside, outside. They took um, would take massive amounts of video surveillance. Uh, they even had architect students who would go in there as part of the team and make notes and everything. And then they would come back out. And at the end of the week, they would have a collection of these various properties that they had scouted during the week. And they would pick their next target. And, their, and what they would do is they would uh, take a foreclosed property and they would uh, grab uh, some people. They would always first try to get homeless people. And then they would fill the crew as needed with other people, volunteers, such as college students who wanted to try this out, um, people who were journalists who wanted to embed and wanted to do a podcast from inside one of these houses. And they would train them. They had a, a regimented, they had notebooks, they had ring bound notebooks, literally, with a training regimen that they put these uh, mostly, again, homeless people through for the occupation. Okay. And Weagle, Part of it was legal. There's a legal twist that I'll mention in a minute here where they had to be legally briefed of how they would hold off the cops legally or try. And of course, cops never obeyed the law. That's part of the problem. And uh, and so and then they would go um, all in one big sting operation. They would go and occupy this fucking home and install these people and support them. They would have everything they needed. The gas would be turned on. The lights would be turned on. They would start getting mail deliveries. And this was all important because wow. this was part of the legal argument, because what happens then when you start getting, uh, 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 fuel deliveries and electric paying electricity bills, even if you don't own that place, even if you occupied it illegally, you still cannot be evicted immediately. You have to go through eviction court. Oh, they have to that. evict you like a fucking tenant. So you yes. got time, even if uh, they're yes. trying to get you out. Yeah, all right. Yes, yeah, so of course the cops. Of course, of course, the cops never obeyed this, which is starting to come now. I'm creeping up now on Ian's uh, story because the cops, of course, never obeyed this rule. You know what I mean? I mean, they were supposed to do do it legally. They were just illegally raiding these places anyway, except for a handful where the neighbors supported, and they had a, a tough time. They couldn't get in and get them, and that was the the King B, the the home safe house. The first one in the project, kind of, uh, what do you call it? The uh, the model. It was the model of the project, right? Was oh, the okay, first home. Yeah. So yeah. it was beautiful. It was in a lush neighborhood. The, the neighbors all loved him. They all knew it was going on and they <laughs> thought it was a fucking gas, right? Um, and and uh, it was a really nice neighborhood and a really gorgeous home. And that was their sort of their model. And that's also where they based the operation out of. That's where they planned their nefarious uh, occupations of many, many. The Richmond was just at the time, half the homes in Richmond. Uh, and apartment buildings and whatnot even were foreclosed. So they really had easy pickings. I mean, it was a wonderful, wonderful project. Okay. Yeah. yeah and, was amazing. Uh, and so they uh, they were a great pick as a designer of an underground railroad. They're a great choice. I was like, look, all you got to do is keep the package away from 
the danger. Pick the safest one you got going, the one where you know the cops are the least likely to break the law and raid it, and just put them there for a few days and then do your part to transport them to the next uh, the next waypoint. And that's it. And they're, they're like, oh, we're in it. We're all up in it. Yeah, we'll do it. We signed us up. And people loved it because they really didn't have to do anything. After the training sessions were over, after we trained them on the protocol, because they weren't allowed to have any paperwork, they weren't allowed to keep the protocol. They had to literally memorize it so there was a pretty mm. intense couple of weeks where we really drilled it into them and made them answer questions and pop quizzes and everything because we couldn't keep this shit on paper yeah um, almost had, like you're making be... like these soldiers you know right <laughs> yeah. exactly exactly and so um so uh when richmond uh, I, I didn't know which of these safe houses as they're moving me through the underground railroad it's important to understand another aspect of it is we had a group of people who volunteered to be an operator um, and an operator is interesting the operator is a person who because a package has been activated he's activated after okay he's chosen to be the operator of that package and suddenly he becomes the only person besides myself in the entire world who is able to know the entire layout of the railroad he gets oh. to know everybody who's in it okay and it's his choice where the package goes he picks based on circumstances based on changing circumstances on the ground law enforcement and there were a lot of them they tried to barricade oakland they tried to keep me from getting out of oakland they literally um, brought in 200 agents overnight and brought them into the park to try to keep me and bear hey bye-bye thank you it's my construction guys leaving oh, okay thing. yeah that's a really good thing the dogs will stop barking at them yeah. um, so uh, so the operator i i kind of had a i knew where i was going i knew the I, I knew one safe house for sure and that was always the exit what we call the exit node the last house at the very border of canada and i i knew what that one was going to be there was no other choice for that so i knew what that was um i had a good idea of how i would get there um so i kind of knew where things would be activated but again things were changing on the ground so quickly and they were really trying to get me and what they, they knew there was a leak somewhere because they knew i was trying to escape the country and they were trying to stop me from doing it oh, um so they uh long story short well try to shorten it they uh go ahead and activate my operator god bless him he had the patience of a saint i just appeared in seattle on him for like oh, two weeks i was so miserable oh he was <laughs> he, i god bless him he just had the patience of a saint you know what i mean and uh um, but uh, so one of them was this group, this group with these these string of these foreclosed homes that they had occupied. And uh, the home that they chose was their capital, their model house, uh, which they considered to be the safest. Uh, and so when I get there, I, these guys treated me just fantastically. It was incredible. They, I had my own room. They're like, we got a room for you. We figured oh, you'd nice. be more comfortable. He goes, uh, uh, he goes, and they, they even, they, they altered the protocol a little bit. I was going to be there for, uh, the plan was to keep me there for six to eight weeks. Um, that's a long stop at a safe house. So we, they went ahead, he went ahead and on his own initiative, broke the protocol and, and let the occupants of the house know who exactly who I was and what sort of danger they faced. That's only fair, but also, you know, Hey, I mean, I don't want to be fucking Gordon. No, I was Brandon at the time. Brandon was my alias. I don't want to be Brandon for like fucking six weeks. So Brandon, nobody that they did, just have, did you, uh, they have did, to feed me. They have to feed me for, <laughs> they have to feed me and take care of me for no fucking reason. Hey, this is Brandon. He's a nobody, you know, come on. They, he did the right thing. So they treated me like commander X. They treated me very special. Um, they had the most amazing setup there. It was so, 
organic, holistic, and cool. They had a little garden in the back. Um, they had a pet chicken that would just run around the house laying eggs on the most inappropriate spots, like like your, <laughs> like, like your pillow. You know yeah. what I mean? So a lot of these eggs never got eaten because of the yeah. way they get discovered, right? Because just wake up crunch, one hatches crunch, under crunch. you. <laughs> right. It's, well, you sit down on the couch and it's like crunch and it's like, oh, oh no, 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 you know. So we had to learn to get good at chasing the chicken around. But this chicken was literally had to run of the house it's like literally as i set my computer up on my desk in my new room okay this chicken runs in and jumps up on my on my on my desk and is just like looking at me like you know and i'm like what how does that how does a guy from fucking cambridge massachusetts end up here like what what you know it was so fucking surreal it was literally so surreal and i helped him out during that eight weeks i provided some uh technical assistance we set the house up with an encrypted hotspot so people could have safe wi-fi and you know just little shit like that and i didn't want a whole bedroom to myself so i actually turned my bedroom into a a massive command center for the anons that were working directly out of occupy oakland so it was a great it was a great side project it was a great side project we had a city of oakland map on the wall and uh the anons would all bus over the 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 bay and to have their big meetings and they would have big meetings and plan all sorts and of course i can't be a part of any of this i just get to sit there drink coffee and maybe make a suggestion or two i'm not going to be able to go on the mission you know what i mean but they would and they would plan these big things and and i would help them with these big hacks and other stuff wow. that they were involved in. and and uh, and the, the room was set up it had uh, you got to picture it because it's important to the story that ian wants me to tell i haven't forgotten ian by the way but it, it, I, i'm doing my i'm doing my talent but it had all over the walls like we had a u.s map we had a world map all of these were some of them were my stuff because I was still deeply involved in some non projects like Op Nigeria. I was deep into North Africa at the time, uh, helping uh, the very few anons that we had in Africa, helping them to really try to make a difference. And so I had a lot of my stuff up. And then in between every spare spot, I would just get the color printer going and just put up anon masks and uh, fucking anarchist symbols and whatever freaking oh, memes cool. that anti-authoritarian memes and everything. And this is important to the story, right? Uh, and so and we had counters and computers and you know uh, printers and stuff like that so we had it all people had donated all kind of stuff to me to help build this little command center and i just slept on a little cot in the corner people would just walk right in i told people just come just come in and work dude it's a war you know what i mean i'll fucking figure out a way to sleep you know what i mean yeah, yeah. um and so that was how they I, I think that earned a little bit of respect to me in the house and everything um and so uh you know, wife, that was the weirdest stop of that, of that whole drama of the whole railroad, because it was so long. First of all, we were trying to wait for the snow to melt on the border. That's why the long, uh, I was actually, I didn't want to have to trudge through snow to break into Canada. And that was the purpose of that stop. Uh, and so, um, it, it all came to a, a sort of a, a, an end. Okay. Quite suddenly. Um, one morning I was just doing my routine. I remember very clearly because I was working on the Kim.com stuff. I don't know if you remember when they arrested Kim.com and shut down Mega, but Anonymous uh, proceeded to wreck 17,000 websites in about 24 hours. Oh shit. Yeah. I, I don't remember that, and, but that's, yeah. cool. that's crazy. And I mean, yeah. even, even Amber Lyon dropped everything, put it on CNN. It was quite uh, something. The, re- the response oh, wait, this to, might ring a bell. The, yeah. The, yeah. Respo- the response to the Kim.com arrest um, was equivalent basically to the shutdown. As far as the outrage and the response, 
it was actually considerably more actually because by then we were a much larger movement than we were back then so it was a pretty considerable operation but i remember that was going on when this happened so i was up early and uh, right at the crack of dawn, and I had a lot of work to do. I mean, I was basically going to stretch, go make a coffee, and just dive right into the computer and, and get to work. I had a lot going on between everything. Uh, I was making good use of that time. I was not one to just lay around the fucking safe house and wait for people to cook dinner. I did wait for people to cook dinner. But that's only because my cooking sucks. But um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I um, I stretch, you know, and I had curtains, and uh, I see a shadow uh in the alleyway in between the two houses the house next door and ours and i see a, a sort of a shadow flicker it's not i'm not i i, I have no alarm no tingles or anything maybe an animal or a bird or just the trees moving a funny way but i just wanted to see so i, I kind of eased the curtain back a little bit and there's a fucking richmond caught like his hat his hat his hat was like inches from my fingers as i pushed the curtain i mean he was oh, right there. right in the window he was no but he was turned he was looking down the alley that way and he was much lower than me i'm looking at the top of his hat oh, like fuck. right <clears throat> how did that back. feel did, did your and heart just a, like oh there is no words i mean jumping yeah. out of airplanes might do it for you i don't yeah. know you gotta, you gotta really go to the adrenaline junkies to find a moment i mean you could die a man my age could die from a moment like that i mean literally it's that much adrenaline that it could kill you um but yeah so um there's like what happens uh, in a moment like that is there's about uh, i want to say about a half a second it usually because of the adrenaline it seems more like four or five seconds but it's about a half a second where you just kind of mentally spin you're like it's like the old fuck i call it the old fuck moment you and feel like kind of like a blackout like your, just, your brain is just yeah your brain is just stuck in the moment literally yeah. it's like oh fuck um and then um then you then the the warrior and the activist kicks in i immediately calmly began searching my room for a way out uh i found a way into the attic through my room that i didn't know existed all within like maybe three seconds right? <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, i i then i then had the presence of mind in the next uh, four or five seconds to uh, move to my computer luckily all the other ones were turned off that were in the room um i moved to my computer and I remembered a friend of mine, this is sort of a separate, completely separate side, uh, amazing side story, but there was a friend of mine who had a possible solution hacking wise to if they caught me in the railroad, like if the pigs caught me, if the, if the street cops, street cops though, it wouldn't work with FBI, but he had a, a possible way that he said, and he had talked to me about it and gone over some of the, the mechanics of it, of how he could, uh, get me out, so to speak, mm -hmm. should I be hung up on American uniformed officers on the way out of the country? Because there was, by that time, there was a bench worn out for me and there was, you know, I mean, they, they were trying to get me. So um, I, I, I had the presence of mind to uh, send him, like, literally, it was like, dude, now, <laughs> I mean, I literally couldn't think of anything else to say. I was like, dude, now, do it now do you know because he he had told me it would only last for a few hours what he was going to do so it was a short window i mean he, I, he had to know exactly when to use it and so I, I had the presence of mind to remember that and then i also had the presence of mind to turn my computer off which if you're a decent enough hacker means that everything is instantly encrypted um if, if you can get the the computer to a power off state 
um, that's that's the that's the goal is to have a setup where when once you power off your computer is so it's like it's like a kill switch in a way it's just like not a kill switch it's just it's just a matter of all of the encryption kicks in i mean you can't be encrypted when you're running an operating system it's got to be unencrypted right you're running you're using right so it won't work um but uh, so the, the whole the whole idea is to set up just it's, this is not really rocket science. I mean, there are some very simple manuals people can get to uh, to fully encrypt your hard drive and stuff like that. And once you do that, um, then you you first of all have to ditch sleep mode. Sleep mode's how they got so many hackers in the old days who tried this trick. Sleep mode won't work. Um, wow. You have to power down. And then once you power down, the RAM empties and the hard drives uh, encrypt. And then it's a brick until until somebody with the right proper uh, uh, password can come along and, and open it back up again. Oh, wow. So it, it, that it's actually really basic. It, what I'm describing is not like some super secret, like a uh, black ops thing. Um, there are instructionals that anybody, and I encourage journalists especially, to have a setup like that, where it's just a simple matter of turning it it off, uh, and you don't know the, how the lengths that they'll go to. Just a quick side story: in Santa Cruz, they actually snuck up behind me to reach over my shoulder in a coffee house to grab my computer from me, just oh, so I couldn't God. do that. And they brought it back to the police station. They wouldn't even close the lid. They didn't dare to. Holy they shit! Were, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so they yeah. they knew they knew the way you would. And like, they got the it, fucking yeah. computer too. I'm here to tell you, lesson learned, all you activists out there. Keep your fucking back to the wall. Never. That's not a. That's not an old warrior saying. If I'd have had, if I'd have been in the seat my friend was sitting in, I'd have seen him coming. Yeah. And off switch is not that hard to hit. You know, you just hit it and hold it for two seconds, man. That's all I needed. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, you know, after that, I, that, that was, that was a different kind of thing. So anyway, uh, yeah, sheer panic, um, check the room, the computers are turned off and, uh, yeah, that's me. I'm going to jail. So now what's up? Um, and then I just stood there in my room. Luckily the door had been kind of pushed closed. I, I, I didn't like a closed door thing. Like I said, my room was kind of an operation center, but it was pushed too. So I, I could stand there without, and I'm just listening to what's going on. And, um, I, there was only one other person, no, two, two other people in the home at the time, a, a young college girl, obviously I'm not going to name names and a young college man actually, who was, uh, um, Indian. He was from India. He was Hindu, I guess. I don't know what the nationality is, but in Indian and um, very skinny, tiny guy. He was cute. He was cool. He, he was the funniest <laughs> one because he tried. I'm going to give him credit. He tried, man. Um, but anyway, um, and I knew that the girl was making me breakfast because she had come in and said, you know, X, do you want me to add some food in for you? I'm cooking my own. And I was like, they always looked out for me because they, they knew I would never eat if they didn't fucking bring me food. Right. Oh, that's really um, nice. And so uh, I knew she was in the kitchen and I'm listening and I can't hear any, all of a sudden, no knives, no, no kitchen clatter, nothing. And it's like dead silent. And then all of a sudden there is this, horrendous crash of like china and glass breaking on the floor of the living room which was the room immediately outside my bedroom holy um, shit and um and i just hear this crash of like china and glass and forks and knives and everything oh, what the fuck is that i gotta look i gotta look and so i just 
generally eased the door open about two inches and immediately that girl was right there and she 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 turned to me very very slowly and said there is a man on the front porch pointing a gun at me through the living room window oh what, my what, what, god what what would you suggest i do and she said it like just as calmly like that she's like what do you think i should do and i was like very slowly raise your hands and ask them what they want <laughs> you know this is like this is like a movie moment right, it's right. fucking it's and, ridiculous and, and, right. i'm whispering this to her through the door and so she said she raises her hands and she, you know she starts yelling at him what do you want and he's like fucking this dude is going ballistic he has gone full fucking hormonal rage and he's like screaming at this girl open the fucking door oh like like literally like she's been laden Okay, Holy and he's shit. and I can't I don't know this, but I can see him because I got a girl's word that he's pointing the gun at her, and he's like he's like pointing the gun at her through the fucking living room, the, the plate glass window, and he's like and she's right there, she's meters away from him, two two meters away from him, and he's like screaming. All of a sudden, I can hear him screaming, like 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 I I, I mean it was like animalistic. That's, that's it was terror. it was it, yeah, it was it was animalistic. This guy. Oh. Oh, and man. he was just screaming, open the fucking door or I'll shoot. Open the door or I'll shoot. And fucking, um, and the thing is, they, they had to get her to open the door. It turns out in retrospect that after we did the debrief on this incident, uh, that they, they they didn't have the right to knock down the door and they knew oh, it. Yeah, we so could have no, no fucking, right? yeah. she could have fucking stayed there forever, man. Oh, but I, yeah. you know, but it was just horrendous. And then the cop, more cops are coming up the street. I can hear cruisers rolling in, backups on the way. We're already fucking surrounded, right? We got Indian dude who I completely forgot about, by the way, is nowhere to be seen. I have no idea what happened to him, right? He's you know, probably you know, blocks away. We're going to find out. I'll tell No, I'll tell you in a second. Yeah. He, he, he tried. I got to give him credit. <laughs> I don't know if I'd have been as bold. Uh, I might have physically been able to accomplish what he did because he, he was small and I was, I'm small, skinny. But, but anyway, uh, so at that point, I don't know. I made a decision. The girl was kind of just looking to me for direction. She was terrified. I mean, she was literally... I mean, if she had pants to pee in, she'd have been peeing in them. I mean, it was just fucking a terrifying moment. Um, at that point, I, I, you know, I guess, yeah, if I'd have been not thinking like Commander X and thinking like a house, I didn't even know if they had a name for their group, a house occupier or whatever. If I'd have been thinking yeah, like, like, a one tenant. Of, like one of them, yeah. and then, yeah, we'd have probably held them off. We'd have probably told them to go fuck yourself and just hung a curtain up on the window. Like, who the fuck are yeah, you? <laughs> so we don't have to look at the gun, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but I wasn't. I was thinking like Commander X, and, and I was also scared for those kids. I really genuinely genuinely thought they might try to shoot this girl um through the window so um uh i made the call and i was like you got to go open the door just go very very slowly hon and and open the door and keep your hands in sight and uh, so she stepped around the mess which was my breakfast tray by the way that she that that crash was my dinner that i never got <laughs> okay which i could have probably used because i'm on my way to jail there's no no doubt that this story ends with me going to jail right and uh so the girl goes and opens the door and this guy comes flying through and I swear to God, the gun hit her. And he put the gun right 
McCutcheon, her fucking forehead came in, put, put get back, get back, get back, get on the ground, get on the ground. It's a, it's a fucking girl who is literally naked in a sundress. She doesn't oh, even Jesus. have fucking underwear on, dude. Oh man. She just got up out of bed and she's in this like fucking nighty, barefooted. Yeah. Okay. And this guy is literally treating her like he's like like he's at fucking war, like he's in Iraq or yeah, something. Yeah, like you mentioned, right? you said Bin yeah. Laden, like just like Honest that much aggression. Fucking like, God. Yeah. And that's where I lost it. And I was like, fuck it. And I slid the door open and I walked into the room and I was like, dude, put that fucking gun away. And, and he swung the gun on me and he's like, how many motherfuckers are in this house? Oh my God. Oh my God, how many of you are there? And I'm like, dude, it's just me and her. And this is our house. What are you doing in our home, man? What's your fucking business here? Put the fucking gun away, dude. What are you going to do? Shoot us? Are you for real? And I was, at that point, I was mad. I was like, and I was just trying to take the heat off her too, because at that point, this guy's taking me to the ground. I mean, he's uh, he's got the gun fully on in my face, like literally three inches from my face. Oh my God. And he is, he is spitting on me, dude. He is so fucking angry that spit is flying out of this pig's face all over me. I'm not even joking. Were I'm not you, even exaggerating. Yeah. Were you thinking he's going to shoot me right here and this is the end? Or? I didn't give a fuck. Yeah. At that point, I was so fucking angry at the treatment. I mean, to see a young... You want to do that shit, do it to an old man. Put that gun in my face. Go the fuck ahead. You know what I'll do? I have lived such a horrible life, dude. I have lived... And I live now with such pain and such agony. I'll do the same thing I've done to every other person who put that gun in my face. Dude, fucking do me a favor and pull the trigger. Fucking please pull the fucking trigger. Dude, I've been suicidal for fucking years trying to kill myself. Okay, do it. Do it, dude. Pull the fucking trigger. That's the space I was in. That's where yeah. I go when that happens, man. Please do me a fucking favor. So I was in no mood to hear from this fucking cop. And they did not take me to the ground. He put his fucking gun away. Okay, and I still got arrested. Yeah. And uh, so um, one of the many accoutrements of this wonderful organic house that um, that we had going with, including the garden and the chicken and the whole bit was, um, you know, like everybody, we like to drink a little beer. Right. Who doesn't like to drink beer? Well, beer. Costs, I love my beer. <laughs> fuck yeah. And beer costs money and everything we were trying to do, uh, make money would go into the movement to buy equipment for the for the house is not for our beer. So we decided that the right thing to do was to brew our own beer. And I knew how, and the leader of the house had some knowledge of it. Together, we came together and we built a, a, a brewery in the garage. <laughs> and we <laughs> brewed uh, approximately uh, 15 gallons a week <laughs> of beer. And we brought, we would keep five gallons of it for the parties at the house and, and, and uh, the rest got distributed amongst the, the rest of the safe houses. We would just bring them free beer. Oh, that's once, nice. Once a, once a week. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I don't know how many people know about beer brewing or know what it looks like, but it kind of looks like a still. Um, it's basically like a big glass bottle um, with lots of stuff stuck on it and coming out of it and gauges. If you want to do it right, you, you, you keep temperatures and you monitor the gas and you want it to taste good. And there's there's ways to do that. So it's a little bit of a kit. It's like a, a thing that you build and it 
it spits out beer. You know, you put the right, uh, cook up the right pot of ingredients, pour it in there, and then a week later it'll it'll shoot beer out. You can actually we, the tap is right on the thing. You didn't even have to. You didn't have to bottle the shit. We just just draw off a, a mug of beer, um, <laughs> and so the thing looked. I guess I suppose from from people who don't understand beer making, and you know, I mean, we just bought all this shit at a beer making store in Oakland. I mean, it was not like rocket science or anything nefarious at all. Um, so I'm in the back of the police cruiser, and I think the first part of the story that Ian wanted me to relate was how I got the kids out of this. Um, oh, I guess they tie together. That's right. Okay, so. Um, so I'm in the uh, backseat of the cruiser anyway, and all of a sudden I'm looking up and down the street, dude, by the way, and they're, they're, oh, the Indian dude, he was in the chicken coop, in the <laughs> roof, in the roof. Back, you know what's crazy? The chicken coop. I, I forgot <laughs> about the chicken, and now the chicken comes back. <laughs> that, that little kid who was no bigger than a 12-year-old. He was, you know, a college student, but, but you know, Indian people are very, can, can be very small, very diminutive <laughs> people, right? And this dude didn't just crawl in the chicken coop. He, he had pushed himself up into the roof so that when the cop looked in the chicken coop, amazing yeah yeah it wasn't it was hours until they found him he was literally and he stayed in there throughout the whole drama for hours for hours if he did in fact i think if he had just stayed maybe another 30 minutes he might have made it but they, but I think he coughed or sneezed or farted or something. He just couldn't, you know, <laughs> he, he, you know all that chicken shit was getting to him or chicken pecked his balls or something. And, and he gave himself away. But they, and they dragged him out of the chicken coop. And I had to laugh because I forgot about him. Yeah. I wasn't even worried about him anymore, man. If you'd asked me, I probably would have said he got away. He probably jumped the fence or back fence or something and got out. Yeah. I don't know, you know, what happened to him. So I'm sitting in the backseat of the cruiser and there's, there's the one thing that I'm, my, uh, first of all, I'll Obviously, I'm going through my own Commander X thing. It's done. The most dramatic run in the history of law enforcement fugitives is over. You know what I mean? I'm caught. And that's that's how it ends for me. You know what I mean? This was long before there was any books or any movies, and there wasn't going to be any. This was it. It was, in fact, the story was going to come to a rather uninspiring end. Um, oh, wow. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in cuffs. I'm in the back of the cruise. Yeah. So what, what, what year so was I'm, this? Oh, God, help me, Ian. 11, 12, when was I running? So, yeah, Canada? like a decade ago, yeah. So, um, so I'm going through my own stuff, but I'm also still me. I'm going to be me in prison. I'm going to be me when the FBI comes to pick me up at the Richmond police station. I'm still going to be me. And I got to get them kids out of, out of Dutch because they got them lined up against the wall. But by then they had, they had chicken coop dude. They had the girl. And they got him standing there with their hands on the fucking garage door for hours, right? And then finally let him sit down, but they got him in cuffs. And then they got two more of the kids who were dumb enough to come home. Like, oh, they, you know, yeah. they just came walking in like, hey, what's up? Hey, man? what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> what's all this glass <laughs> well, doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? We live here. You live here. Okay, well, yeah, you're under yeah, arrest. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, the That's the charge, dude, living here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you signed up, right? So um, so they got four of them total. By by then, it's dark. It's, it's I mean, we're talking morning, right? It's, it's yeah. it, The sun is going down, guys. We're talking about two girls, a girl and an Indian dude living in a squat, and the sun is going down on this operation. And as I look up and down the street, it's lined with police cruisers. There's cops walking around like you see after a school shooting with a rifle over their shoulder, like eating some lunch and stuff. Yeah. It was like a siege operation or something. Yeah. Like, like, like they were victorious over some sort of like 
huge gun battle or something. Yeah. And I, I'm like, this was like two college kids. One of them was naked. Not yeah. naked, naked, but I mean, honest to God, dudes. What the fuck? What it is? It was like, literally, you people are insane. This just highlights to me how insane this police, military fucking mentality that drives these pigs and drives the military drives a whole uh you know i don't know spartan kind of fucking mentality way of society it's it's horrible that these people could take something like this this seriously and the neighbor lady who was the big wig in the neighborhood too she was the she was the mom of the whole fucking neighborhood she was rich and she was not fucking happy that lady who who didn't owe us a a thing right stood out there on our fucking fence and watched everything she goes i want to see that what are you taking what are you taking it come here i want to see that i want and she got her phone out i mean that neighbor lady god bless her i don't even know who the fuck she is but but i never even really talked to her but she was awesome right from the very beginning i knew she was i had been warned that she was cool she was down for the cause that's sick yeah so i'm sitting in and like i said i'm just really in awe of these these blinking lights going on both in front of me and and behind me the all of these cops and then as if it couldn't get any more surreal as i'm taking that in two hazmat trucks come driving up the street and these dudes get out in full goddamn like there's fucking coronavirus pouring out of the faucet kind of fucking gear right yeah interesting like and go uh, in the house and i'm like and then and then two big fire trucks right behind them because hazmat never goes anywhere so now the street is just looks ridiculous dude i mean i don't even know if you can picture what i'm what i'm envisioning here in my head but it's literally like people can't even drive home on to get to their houses because this street is now literally packed with two fire trucks, two hazmat trucks. And I'm going to just be conservative and say eight police cars. Okay. It's and like, I'm it's a- like when uh grand theft auto, when you max out the stars, the military. Oh, comes and-, <laughs> and now the hazmat is going in there. Right. And I'm like, these people are just, I, I just, I'm just, you know, I don't know the whole thing, my own emotions, the commander X stuff. It's all just, I mean, I, I, I'm surprised I just didn't have a stroke right there. And the spot is just so ridiculous. So um, I'm waiting, just wondering. This is obviously going to take a while. I mean, I, I'm uncomfortable. You start thinking about things like, God, these cuffs hurt. And why don't the cops ever put padding on the seats anymore? They, they give you those hard plastic seats now in the back. In my day in the 70s, man, cop cars had padded back seats, man. You get to sit <laughs> on a car, and you know what the fuck and so i'm just starting to think about you know just practical shit really i mean it's like uh i'm not even my mind isn't even on anything i'm still looking for any way to get the kids free they're still like lined up along the garage and uh a cop and one of the uh hazmat guys he he took off his helmet and stuff and then there was a, a fireman a young fireman, but he was well-ranked though. He seemed to have like some, uh, I don't know, he had his uniform on. He seemed to have a lot of, a lot of gold on him, but I, but he was, he looked really young to me, but I'm having that problem lately. Everybody seems to look like they're 12, but, but, uh, <laughs> and they, the, the three of them come up like a committee to the car and um, the guy rolls down the window and uh, the cop looks and he goes, look, he goes, uh, you know, we got you, you know, it's all over and everything. And, uh, you know, I, but, uh, and, and, and I'm not trying to, I'm honest to God, dude, not trying to trick you. 
he goes, uh, I want to make a deal with you right now. I don't know what sort of deal you got in mind, dude. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, what sort of dude deal you got in mind? And he's like, well, we've got a problem here. And I was like, well, I, I noticed that. I mean, what exactly is your issue, dude? <laughs> and th- and that, that's when the hazmat guy takes over. He goes, we need to know what that thing is in the garage. Uh, <laughs> and i swear to god i've never laughed so hard in my life and i swear <laughs> to god i think they almost took me to the loony bin I, I i think i i couldn't stop laughing i had and i can't help myself so i got snot pouring out I, i'm handcuffed <laughs> behind right and i can't even wipe the snot and the tears literally that are coming out of my eyes because i'm <laughs> laughing so hard and that they brought out the hazmat team for our beer making machine. Yeah, they were probably thought you guys were like building a nuke or a meth lab. Like, oh like my <laughs> god, dude! So I, so at first, once once the humor once the humor starts to subside, and I'm 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 letting them know. I'm like waving my hand. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you. Hold on, dude. I just gotta, I gotta get composed. Okay. So I compose myself, and then instantly the. The wonderful part of me that I value so much, I think movement does, the, the, the general kicked in, you know, the, the commander X kicked in. Okay, yeah. you need something from me, right? What do I need? So I ran down the checklist real quick. They ain't letting me out of this cop car. That I know. I don't even need to ask. I'm not getting out, okay? Um, better conditions in jail. No, nah, I'm not, you know, not going to be there that long. The FBI is going to come for me the next morning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um so I, I, you run through in a microsecond all the list of things. What can I get out of this? And it, and then God help me, thank God, because my mind was really tired. I was very tired at this point. You got to understand, very worn out. I, re, I, I looked over my shoulder at the kids at the garage. Thank God, thank God. I, I, I was like, oh, uh, you want to know what's in the garage? Well, I got something I want. I want you. Your sergeant, your white hat over there, personally, him. I want him to go over there. And by then the media were here. Mm. And I said, and I want you right in front of them cameras. I want you to stand each one of those kids up. I want you to uncuff them. I want you to tell each one of them that you are dropping all charges and they are free to go. Otherwise, I'm not saying a fucking word about what that thing is in the garage. I'd rather go to prison. I'd take me. And, and, and this one, by then. Uh, That's the, fucking the young, awesome. The young lieutenant kid actually started threatening me with Gitmo. He goes, well, if it's terrorism, we'll send you to Gitmo. And I'm like, well, I can do this. <laughs> and I do whatever. That's the deal. Go talk to your boss. That's yeah. all. I'm, that's it. Smart, and, uh, man. That's, oh, man. No, I love where oh, this is going. God. God, thank me. Thank that I remembered the kids because my mind was really full at that point. And it's just sometimes I. You know, I do things and, and I'm being I'm being made to make a very impulsive decision. You know what I mean? It's yeah. tough. To, and that's where I've always been kind of good in the crunch to make the right. I seem to even see it seems to me when it's almost just like that by luck. I just happen to look over my shoulder and remember the kids were over there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was almost like stretching. I wasn't even like I don't even know. And I was like, oh, them, you know, we got to get them out. And uh, it was a long story short. It was a matter of seconds. I don't even think it was 60 seconds. It was an easy decision. The sergeant walked over there and uh, he uncuffed them all on camera and uh, let those kids go. And that is oh, a, that's nice. That, that, that to me was uh, literally one of the one of the greatest uh, moments of that a really incredible adventure. Um, so then, of course, they come back over and I get the really fun task. And he's like, OK, 
We let I, him go. I can't wait to hear next? the reaction of what <laughs> when you say, dude, him. the fire guy, the hazmat guy, not that was it? No, it was a fireman guy came back to get tips. He's like, "How can I brew my own beer, dude? I didn't know. I didn't know I could. I didn't know I could do that. Yeah, you could just I do it in the garage. That, I didn't know it was that easy, right? I didn't know it was that easy. Can you give me some tips? And I yeah. was like, dude, I don't got time, but just go to the brew store." It's in Oakland. Look it up, brewstore.com. And he's like, Are you kidding me? You bought all that stuff at a store in Oakland? I was like, It's it's that easy, dude. Yeah. Wine, wine too, and spirits. It's all yeah. even it seems like there's like a pattern like uh throughout the movie too, where it comes to uh you talking about the different hacking tools and stuff. It's like, yeah, you can just Google it or find it. It's like all like there and like everything like is, everything. everything. Like, you're like kind of like everything. the king of DIY of like the things of that course. people don't see. You of know? course, of yeah. course. And and the thing to understand about me too, uh, that's very different about my character and why I don't get along with some um, hardcore hackers is because that's secondary. That's a hundred percent secondary to me. It's only a tool to fuck with authority. That's all it is yeah. or shock and awe or propaganda or liberation of information that will bring somebody down. That's all it is. It's only a tool. I have absolutely no curiosity or desire to crawl networks like Kevin Mitnick did because it, because I find a thrill in it. I don't, I just don't. I like game. I like video games. You know, I, you know, if I want to do that, if I want to just mindlessly hack, I'll, I'll play games or I'll build a game or, or something like that. You know, I, I just don't I've never been that kind of hacker. And those hackers are very passionate and I'm not putting them down. Mind you, I have many, many dear friends who are, you know, I guess I would call them true hackers with a capital T. That's not me. It's never been me. And people have mistook that. And I've never claimed that that was me. Um, I will perfect. I, I, you can take maybe one thing, one, and I don't have an example at the top of my head, but one, one particular kind of hack. And yeah, I'm a god at it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you take the very next skill next door to that. It, 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 and I don't know anything about it. Okay. And because I, because I only needed to do that one thing. I became perfect. I became incredible at that one thing because it's what I needed to do to mess with a dictator, to mess with the, the Vatican, to mess with whoever I was messing with at yeah. the time. Uh, to me, it's hacktivism. And that's what, that's what creates a hacktivist. That's where that word comes from. It is the mash. It is, it is using the tools of hacking, the ideas behind hacking, but to affect political change. So that was part one of two episodes with Commander X. Hope to see you guys next week. And also be sure to check out the documentary, The Face of Anonymous, which is right now playing at Hot Docs and should be on television really soon and most likely on demand as well. But like always, before we leave, we want to give the biggest thanks to everybody who supports this show. First off, our co-producer Jeremy Hopkin of Hopkin Design and also all you absolute legends on the Patreon. Starting with the one, the only, Ola Mazuka of Sonic Fold, Ryan Watkins of Ryan Radio, Pat Maloney, Ryan Campbell, Daniel Sun, Drew Stewart, Devin Staple, Amanda McKnight, and last but not least, Francis Copper, aka my mom. Thank you so much. Be good to one another, and we'll catch you next time. I see the cops on that catch and release. I let a pop if they ask me to freeze. Fuck 12.